Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. What I want to share today is, uh, it's going to be more or less of a, a talk than a message. And because as you've seen the last four weeks, we talked about experiencing Chestnut Mountain and we tried to, to give you a glimpse into what God has called us to do here by saturating the world, by making disciples and that we're going to do that by creating a culture where everyone belongs, becomes, and becomes a builder of the kingdom. But as I, as I was getting ready, as, as Brandon has already mentioned a moment ago, our students are leaving this afternoon for Big C Retreat. Um, and, and the beauty of that is this is something God placed on our hearts some four to five years ago, is that the church, the Big C Church, would come together as one. And what we've seen happen over the last five years is today that there will be seven churches that are gathering together in Cleveland, Georgia to lift up one name. And I want you to understand that that was all birthed by our student ministry here, by the invitation of inviting other churches to come alongside. So I'm so excited about what God's gonna do at Big C Retreat. And so I knew that they were leaving today. And so God had begun to place a message on our heart today about this young generation, about these, these young people, if you would. And many of you know some of my story. Um, you're gonna learn more about me just by simply what I'm gonna share this morning with you, but you're gonna learn a lot more about the heartbeat here at Chestnut Mountain. And in that, what I wanna talk about is, you know, my first step in ministry, as I felt like God was calling me to ministry, it was not in occupational ministry. It was to be a school teacher and a coach. That was the calling that God had placed on my heart. That was my ministry, if you would. And so after I stepped into being a school teacher, a PE teacher, basketball coach, football coach, and if you're a PE teacher, you coach whatever they want you to coach. So yeah, that was us too. But what happened was some doors began to open where I was able to step foot into becoming a middle school, uh, bivocational student pastor. And then it, then it led to full-time student pastor. And, and now it's led to this. But with all that being said, what I want you to hear is my heart is what I've realized is that I've always had and will always have a heart for young people. Chelsea and I went to a conference this past weekend in Birmingham, Alabama, and, and I shared with the, with the pastor there and I said, you know, I said, I just don't feel like I've ever grown out of student ministry. He said, you won't. And I'm thankful for that, that I still have a heart for students. I still have a heart for, for young people. But what is also heartbreaking is kind of the, for lack of better words, the bad rap that our young people are acquiring. The bad rap that our young people are, are getting labeled with. And what I believe with everything in me is there's a lot of it's just not true. There's a lot of it that is just not true. Some of the things that we hear, and this is all geared towards what society would call Generation Z. 
It's those young people who were born between the years of 1999 and 2015. But for simplicity today, we're gonna look at anyone who falls under the age of 22 to 23 years old, from there and all the way down to birth. And so that's what I wanna focus is, and as we talk about young people today, that's who we're gonna be referencing. But here's some of the stereotypical statements that are being made about our young people. That they prefer digital communication in order to avoid face-to-face -face communication. Another one that these young adults, these young people are lazy and they're entitled that they don't wanna work hard. Another statement that's being made is that they think they know it all. Now look, I know moms and dads, that's came out of your mouth probably today. Okay, it has, it's come out of mine. But in, in society, they're being labeled as this is the generation that's unteachable that you can't teach them anything. They don't wanna know anything because they think they know it all. But what I have prayed today for, for you, for me, is that our heart and our mindset would begin to shift in view of our young people, in view of those that are 22, 23 and younger. And I have prayed that God would open our hearts. And what I'm gonna share with you this morning, and look, I'm gonna take probably the first 15 minutes and I'm just gonna talk with you. We're not gonna jump into the scripture yet. We will in just a moment. But what I wanna share with you now was something that was very eye-opening. And I wish I could say that this was my idea, but it's not. Um, but a pastor in Alabama did this with his church probably several months back. He began to carry the same burden for young people that, that, that God has always placed on my heart. And, and what I want you to hear today is this is not just a burden because I'm a parent. This is a burden because I love young people. Because I believe that God is raising up this generation to change the world. I believe that with everything that's in me. But what Pastor Chris did to all of his teenagers, now look, he had a larger group. I think in their church, there's about 40,000 members. And so they sent out a question to all of their student ministry, to all the students, and it was a simple fill in the blank, one question. And the students were able to go online or however they did respond, and they were able to respond anonymously. So there was no strings attached. They could be completely honest and completely transparent. But the question that he put on display for them, the question that was sent out to all of these teenagers was this, I wish my parents knew blank. I wish my parents knew fill in the blank. And as many of you know, I cut grass on Fridays. That's like my serenity. So I was, I was listening to actually his message where he was using these questions. And, and by the time I was finished, I was tears rolling down my face because we really got a glimpse into the heart of our young people. And I wanna share just a few of the responses that came from this, these group of young people, these young adults from Birmingham, Alabama. I wish my parents knew how much I treasure their advice even when I act like I couldn't care less. I wish my parents knew that instead of threatening to punish me, I need them to do it. I wish my parents knew that when they wouldn't let me date this guy, I acted like I was mad, but I was really thankful that they were fighting for me. 
Now keep in mind, this is all anonymous. This is them being completely honest. There's no strings attached with what they're putting out. But as we hear these responses, if you're anything like me, when I think of Alabama, like that's a foreign country, right? So it's very easy to brush these responses under the table. Oh, those are a bunch of teenagers in Alabama. The only thing good, what is it they say that comes out of Alabama is I-20? Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. And so it's very easy to think that and go, oh, you know what, that's in Alabama. We don't have to worry about that. That's a group of teenagers in Alabama. So, you know, that's probably not the heart of our teenagers, right? And so what I did, I got with Chase, our student pastor, and I got with Breland, who handles our communication, and I said, I wanna know what our, parents, what our students think. And church, I swore I was gonna try to make it through today. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it through today. But what I'm about to share with you is responses from our teenagers. Probably some of my kids. A bunch of kids that are over there in the chapel right now, probably pouring a lot of this stuff out with one another. But here's the responses from your students, from your young people. I wish my parents knew how bad I'm struggling and how I don't feel loved sometimes. I wish my parents knew how bad I want them to listen to me and what I'm carrying. I wish my parents knew how much I appreciate and love them even when I don't show it. I wish my parents knew, even though I complain about their rules, I really just wanna to try to meet their standards and earn their approval. I wish my parents knew that I keep my emotions to myself. I wish my parents knew how much it hurts when they compare me to others. Listen to this one, the simplicity of it. I wish my parents knew the real me. I wish my parents knew how hard I am trying to do my best, but instead they just leave me alone. Here's the punch in the mouth to me. I wish my parents knew that not every conversation has to turn into some kind of lesson. Sometimes I just need a hug. I wish my parents knew how much I struggle with being happy with myself and my body image. And most nights, I just cry. Church, that's your kids. This is not from some foreign land of Alabama. Many of them right now are within a hundred yards from where we're standing. And as gut-wrenching as this is, as attention-getting as this is, I believe with everything in me, if we would just put our ears to the track, what you're gonna hear is a plead from young people that they simply just want somebody to stand with them and fight for them. That's it. You may never hear that from their mouth, 
But there's a burning desire within young people that they want to know that somebody is standing with them and that someone will fight for them. And what I hear in these responses from Georgia and in the foreign land of Alabama is I hear a plea for guidance. I hear a plea that teenagers, that young people, that young children are crying out and just say, hey, we need help. We don't know what we're doing. But the reality is they're never never gonna tell you they don't know what they're doing. You do realize that, right? But this is a cry for guidance. And I know if you're sitting here today and, and you can say, well, Brian, I'm not a parent. Or maybe your kids are grown and gone. It's very easy to dismiss this message, if you would, or or this topic, because you can say, you know what? My work's done. You know, we just finished a series called Experience Chestnut Mountain, where we belong, become, build. This all goes back to belonging. This all goes back to the heartbeat of belonging, because the reality is, is if we belong to one another, we are family. We are called together to this place to do life together. And so as I've said so many times, if God has called you to be a part of this family, these young people are all of our responsibility. Not just the parents, not just moms and dads, but they are this family's responsibility to stand with and fight for our young people. Because you do realize this. Some of the young people that may even be in this room now, some of the young people that may be in the room in this next hour, some of the young people that may be downstairs, you do realize that not every one of them are being brought up in a Christian home. Not every one of them have Christian guidance. Not every one of them are protected by the fellowship of a mom and dad who love the Lord. And the reason I know that, listen to some of these responses. I wish my parents knew. You ready? Jesus. That's our teenagers. This is not Alabama. I wish my parents knew that I think about them with tears through worship through my devotions, through my small group and my alone time with God and I'm praying for their future. That's a young person's heart for their parents. These are parents who aren't bringing the child up in the way that they should go according to the scripture and this holy book that we've been given. And so there's gonna be teenagers that are in here now. There's gonna be teenagers that are coming over here in just a moment. Here's the reality. You are the only Christian guidance they have. You are the only Christian family they have. And church, here's the truth. They're our responsibility as followers of Christ. They're our responsibility as the family of God. And can I tell you right now, as your pastor, as as a church family, there is no price tag on reaching the next generation. 
There's no amount of money that's gonna stop us. There's no obstacles that are gonna stop us because as long as God calls me here, we are going to exhaust every resource we have to change the lives of our young people. We're gonna meet them where they're at and we're gonna love them where they're at, whether mom and dad are here or not. This is why we are trying with everything in us to be in a public school every week. Because if they're not coming here, guess what? It's our responsibility to go. It's our responsibility to go. And so today, I'm just simply gonna share two verses with you. Well, a little more than that, but the heartbeat of today is two verses. And it comes from the Old Testament. And if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. And yeah, that's a book you can look in the table of contents again. No shame, just look it up. It's 302 in my Bible. But have you ever noticed that especially in the Old Testament, there's, there's a lot of characters who were mentioned but there wasn't a lot said about them. There wasn't a lot said about them, but what we have to understand and what we have to trust is that every word in this book is the anointed word of God. And if their name is in here, they're worth paying attention to. And that's exactly the man that we're gonna look at today. And there's not a lot of context around him. But I think if we will look at his example, if we will look at what he stands for, we will look at, at what he's doing, I think it will help us better understand how we as a church family can stand with and fight for our young people. There's a very teachable moment in what happens in this little story. But I found a summary of this character and I wanna read this summary to you right quick just to sort of put it in, a, in a, the cliff note version of who this guy is. But here it is. This is a guy who's not mentioned very much. But this is a guy who worked behind the scenes under the shadow of King David, and he lived under the generic tagline, one of three mighty warriors. There's no detailed description. There's no resume to inspire hero worship, but he had loyalty. And listen to this last sentence that summarizes who this guy is. At a critical time, when his presence spelled the difference between life and death, he showed up. Let me read that one more time. At a critical time, when his presence spelled the difference between life and death, he showed up. Church, can we all agree that our young people are at a very critical time? But here's the question that I want you to answer. Are we going to show up? Are we going as a church to stand with and fight for young people? Because even after listening to some stuff that I heard this week, we have to realize that, that our young people are the loneliest generation in human history. The loneliest generation in human history. Even before this COVID-19 thing happened, because of social media, because of the, what the world is infiltrating in our young people, they were already lonely. They were already isolated. 
And then we're told that we have to isolate ourselves. Then the world shuts down. So you can imagine what happened to the heartbeat of being lonely. It was nothing but amplified. Suicide went through the roof. Why do you think that the prescription drugs begin to infiltrate the hearts of our teenagers or the lives of our teenagers? It's because the only way they knew to cope with things was to put something over it. And so we saw that what was an already lonely generation was amplified when they were told, okay, now you stay at home and get lonelier. And so we can see that right now that we are in a very, very critical time. And in some of our teenagers' cases, in some of our young people's cases, if we show up or not could be what spells the difference between life and death. Are we going to show up? Are we going to exhaust all the resources that we have to make sure that every young person that walks through these doors and that are in our community have the ability to hear the gospel and the opportunity to realize, hey, they can belong to God too. That they can belong to God. But this character that we've just summarized is a, is a man named either Shema or Shema. I don't care how you want to say it. I can sound country and just go Shema or something. I don't know. We can figure that out in a minute. But I want you to read the example of what he did. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. Now after him was Shema, the son of Agi, a heretite, and the Philistines were gathered into a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, basically a bean field. And the people, this was the children of Israel, the people fled from the Philistines. Verse 12, but he, Shema, took his stand in the midst of the plot. He defended it. And he struck the Philistines and the Lord brought about a great victory. Notice Shema didn't bring about a great victory. Who did? The Lord did. The Lord brought about a great victory. Now I know when we read this, we think, well, what in the world does a bean field have to do with teenagers? What does a bean field have to do with young people? What does a bean field have to do with our babies? You see, what we have to realize is that in this context, this, this bean field, if you would, was much more than just a place where food was growing. It was much more than just a, a plot of beans. You see, to the children of Israel, it was much more than just something to eat. It resembled a, and stood for a blessing from God. This patch of beans, this patch of lentils, it stood as a representation of this is God's blessing to us. And just in case we have forgotten, you do realize that's exactly what the word of God says about every young person. That every young person is what? A blessing from God. Flip to Psalms chapter 127. This is something that you all are familiar with. Psalms 127, verses three through five, just to remind you of what our children are, what our young people are to us. Now look, this is, goes beyond being a parent. 
This is what our young people should mean to us as a church family. Verse three says, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Man, I'm blessed. <laughs> they will not be ashamed. And when they speak with their enemies in the gate. You see, every young person that's in this room now, every young person that is in the chapel, every young person that is on their way to church this morning, what we've got to recognize is they are a blessing from God and they resemble an arrow in the hand of a mighty warrior. That's who our young people are. They aren't a people who don't want to talk to anybody. They aren't a people who don't want to be, who don't want to be taught. They don't want to be isolated what God has called us to do is to make them, to sharpen them so that these arrows can be used to change the world. They are arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. They are a blessing from God. And when we recognize that, when we are reminded that they are a blessing from God, we will have the heart of Shema, meaning that we will stand with and fight for them because we recognize who they are and who's given them to us. That they are a blessing from God. And we look at this example of Shema. We look at what he did. The reason that he stood in the middle of this bean field is because he knew exactly who it was from. He knew exactly what it was for. But the question is, is church, will we take that stand? What can we learn from what Shema exemplified as he defended this blessing from God? The first thing that we can learn, the first thing that we can take note of, moms, dads, protector of young people, Write this down. Always be aware of the enemy's attack. Always be aware of the enemy's attack. 1 Peter 5.8, you don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But 1 Peter 5.8 is a passage that we all know, that we've all heard. Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What we've read in this text is it said that the Philistines were gathering a troop around this bean field. They were getting ready to trample. They were getting ready to take over. The way that they would destroy the bean fields is that's all they would do is they would trample. They would tear down. They would destroy what we've got to recognize today is that's exactly what the enemy is still doing. The enemy is still gathering around our young people. The enemy is still gathering around your home. The enemy is still looking for the next opportunity where he can trample your family, where he can trample our young people, where he can destroy what God wants to do through them. But we've got to make sure that we're aware of what he's doing. We've got to make sure that we're paying attention to how the enemy's attacking. And we know that because of the stand Shema took, that he had to be paying attention. Because the Bible says that he went and stood right in the middle of it. A lot of scholars believe, I know there's not a lot of information around this, but a lot of scholars believe that Shema, along with some other Israelites, would have been in the field at that moment working the ground. 
that they would have been in the field in that moment doing everything a farmer should. They would be taking care of the soil. They would be taking care of the plants. They would be doing everything they could to take care of what God had given them that they were responsible for. They would have been right in the middle of doing what they were called to do. And so because they were right in the middle of it, guess what? They couldn't help but notice what was surrounding. They couldn't help but notice what was going on around them because they were right in the middle of taking care of what God had given them. And as you've heard this morning, church, here's the heartbeat of our young people. They will not tell you this. They will not say this, but you have to understand they want you right in the middle of everything they're doing. And I know some, no, they don't. You don't know my kids. I don't know any of these kids that responded this way, but what every one of these responses said is I desire someone to stand with and fight for me and I want them right in the middle of my mess. But the question is, church, moms and dads, are we in the middle working the ground? Are we in the middle of taking care of what God has entrusted us with? Because Shema was right in the middle of all of it. One thing I know about Shema is he, he was probably not distracted by his career. He probably wasn't distracted by chasing his dreams. He probably wasn't distracted by his cell phone. But Shema was right in the middle of doing what he's responsible to do. And because he was right in the middle, because he was right in the middle, he recognized the enemy's attack and he was able to stand with and fight for what God had blessed him with. But what we see is that Shema was the only one that stood. What did the rest of the Israelites do? What did it say? It said they fled, right? Here's something interesting, and this is one of the most teachable things that I took from this teaching, from this text. The scholars believe that the Israelites weren't running with the intentions of never fighting. They just wanted to wait for more ideal conditions. Because keep in mind, they're in the middle of a field. They're completely exposed. They thought, hey, you know what? We're fighting an uphill battle right now. We have no protection. And so what we're gonna do, we're gonna flee to the hill country where we can have obstacles, where we can hide behind trees, where we can ambush our enemy. But can I tell you right now that as they fled, you understand what happened. As we flee, as we run, as we think, oh, well, I'll take care of that later, the enemy is gaining ground. And moms and dads, church, we can't wait to fight for our young people when it's convenient. We can't wait and fight for our young people when it fits in our schedule. We've gotta make sure that we take note of what the enemy is doing right now and we stand and we fight with them now. Don't wait. Because if we wait, can I tell you, their life is dependent upon us not waiting. We don't have time to give up ground. We don't have time to take our hands off and say, hey, you know what? As a mom and dad, I'm just gonna let them live and learn. As a mom and dad, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let them learn by their mistakes. Yes, there's an element of truth to that. 
But as a moms and dads, God has not called us to be hands-off parents. And I've said this a hundred times from this stage. It's time that we as parents, that we as a church, that we get our hands back on what God has entrusted us to raise. We've got to be the ones that are going to stand with and fight for them. Because there's a world ready to eat them alive. And I know that's mine. But as sweet and cute and innocent as that looks, there's a world outside those windows that want to trample and tear my child to pieces. But as a dad, as a pastor today, I want our young people to know my pastor's gonna stand with me and my pastor's gonna fight for me. And all I'm doing, church, is asking you to come along. And I have to be, if I have to be Shema and do it by myself, I will. But I don't believe that's your heart. And I love our teenagers so much. You know what I'm doing for the next two days? I'm going to Big C Retreat because I want them to know My pastor's here. He loves me and he's going to stand with me and he's gonna fight for me. And yeah, I understand three of those are gonna be mine, but I'm looking at it as like there's a whole another like 97 that are mine too. And as a shepherd, I'm gonna fight with everything in me that our young people know that we're in their corner because we can't afford to wait. Yeah, and here's the truth. If we try to stand like Shema did right in the middle of all their junk, guess what? You're gonna face resistance. They're gonna say, oh, leave me alone. This is my business. Don't you dare tell me who I can and cannot date. But as you heard from a child a moment ago, even though I was showing I was angry with them, it felt so good to know somebody was fighting for me. And as you fight, they may get mad. So what? God didn't put you in their life so that they would like you. God puts you in their life so you would guide them. And as you guide them, I promise you with everything in me, they will love you. You may not hear it now. You may not know it now. But when they're raising their young ones, or when they're bringing their babies to your house, they're gonna say, thank you, mom and dad. I'm so thankful that I was a part of a church who stood with me and fought for me. And guess what they're gonna learn to do? Stand with and fight for theirs because they've watched you do it. But as everyone else ran, as everyone else thought, I'll just wait till it's a little more convenient, Shema stood. He stood.
stood in the midst of everything and he said, I'm gonna fight. You know, I'm reminded of last week, it's so easy to celebrate volunteers, but I'm reminded of all the volunteers that serve in our, our student ministry and our kids ministry and our preschool ministry. You know, as you see it on social media, as you see all the advertisements, you hear about Big C Retreat, man, it just sounds like it's just a bunch of fun and games, right? Yeah, there's a lot of laughing. There's a lot of cutting up. There's, there's a lot of that that goes on. But what I want us to all understand is that when we step into that role, I even look around at all the school teachers that are in the room. Because what ends up happening is it's not all just fun and games. Because over there right now, they're in small group. And I know from student ministry, I know from being a coach that those kids are probably in that room right now, pouring their heart out to one another in some cases. Moms and dads, they're telling that room some stuff that you don't know. And guess what? It's okay. Because that's why God has placed these volunteers in your child's life. That's why downstairs in our, in our preschool ministry, you have women that are rocking and holding these babies that are praying over them. It's not babysitting. You do realize that, right? They're planting seeds. They're singing songs. And then our kids ministry, they're having the word of God just poured into their heart. But even in student ministry, what you have to realize is that as your child, as my child begins to, to throw up on their small group leader, what was your child's burden? What was your teenager's burden? Is no longer just their burden. All of that burden was just placed on that small group leader. Because can I tell you, they don't turn that off when they go home. I've sat with small group leaders who have wept over teenagers who are in their class. This weekend, as they go away, or first of the week, whatever it is, your child is gonna pour their heart and their soul out to these group leaders. And that group leader's shoulders are gonna get heavier and heavier and heavier because now what was that child's burden now becomes theirs. But the beauty of it is, is that's what we as a family are called to do because here's the truth. I've got three over there. I've got two downstairs and probably got some other ones somewhere else. I'd, I'd lose count. But what I realize is how thankful that I am for those of you in this room that pour into my kids because I can't do it alone. Chelsea can't do it alone. That's what we as family are called to do. You've all heard the old sayings, it takes a village. Yeah, it takes an army. But at the end of the day, it takes a bunch of people with the heart of Shema. It says, I'm gonna stand right in the middle. I'm gonna stand with them and I'm gonna fight for them. But not only did Shema take a stand, the Bible said he defended them. 
He defended this bean field. He defended this blessing from God. When we defend something, it literally means to resist the attack, protect from harm and danger. But as we stand within, this is what we're called to do is defend. And I know you may think in your mind, well, how do we defend? Why do we defend? Number one, you defend what's important to you, right? You defend what's important to you. You defend the blessing that God has given you. But as we look, we see that Shema had some weapons. That he fought. That he had tools that he would engage the enemy with. Church, something that is very, very much overlooked is I'm not gonna give you some app today that helps you defend your child. I'm not gonna give you some three-step plan that helps you defend our young people here at this church, but I simply wanna remind you of this, and this is actually gonna segue us into the next three weeks is what we're gonna be looking at. Can I tell you, as a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit living in you, the number one weapon you have, yes, is the word of God, but what we have access to, the tool that we can fight with the most, are you ready for this? Is pray. <laughs> That'll really rock your world, won't it? Do you realize that's the only, the only weapon we need? It's the power of prayer. That we can pray for our young people. That we can engage the enemy's attack through prayer. That we can go to battle every day through prayer. And we're promised that when we engage in this battle, when we engage in this war through the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we see exactly what happens. The Lord will bring the victory. The Lord will bring the victory. But we gotta stand with and we gotta fight for it's time that we as a church stop sticking our head in the sand and just pretending that ah, somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else will do it. And that's why I'm so excited. I'm so anxious to see what happens this weekend. As our students get on a bus this afternoon and they leave, They're not going just to have a good time. You understand there's a lot of lonely hearts that'll be getting on that bus today. There's a lot of broken hearts that'll get on that bus today. And one of our young teenagers, he reminded me, he's on our production team. He told me, Mr. Corbin, he's back there on the camera right now. I'm not calling him out at all. But he said, hey, Brian, please don't preach too long so that we miss the bus this afternoon. Y'all see, it follows me everywhere. Encouragement around every corner. But you see, the beauty of it is, you know why God will show up this weekend? Do you know why God is gonna show up in the lives of our young people this week? It's because for 48 hours, they're gonna unplug. They're gonna unplug from the weight of school. They're gonna unplug from the weight of what's going on on their sports team. They're gonna unplug just for a little while, honestly, even what's going on in your home. 
and they're gonna encounter God. They're gonna have adults who are pouring into them. Jared's gonna be bringing the message every time they sit down. And we know if Jared's preaching, the word of God is gonna be poured out. And I know maybe, just, uh, I don't even know, yeah, we're just gonna say it. Chase may get mad. This is probably an organizational nightmare, but we're gonna do it anyway because I believe in it that much. If you're here and your child is not signed up to go, don't let them miss it. And if you say, Brian, well, that's a lot of money. Don't worry about that. You just get them on the bus. We'll get them there. Because I believe with everything in me, if we can get them unplugged from this world for 48 hours, God will change their life. And no, Chase doesn't have any idea that I'm announcing that. <laughs> but what I know about Chase and Katie is that's their heart. So if that's you and you want your child to go today, get them on the bus. If I got to drive them up there, I'll drive them up there. We can even haul a trailer and throw some on the trailer too. But what I want to do right now is this is how we're going to close today. Make, make some of you young people uncomfortable. But if you're here and you fall into this under the age of 22 to 23 years old, if you're what some would call Generation Z, I wanna ask you to come and join me right here in front. And I know some of you are going, oh my gosh, he's not doing this again. But if that's you, I want you to come and join me right here. And I know this is a production nightmare, but if you're under the age of 22, 23, you're on a computer, you're on a camera, you come on too. Y'all just turn and face me, please. I know y'all are all mad at me right now, and that's okay too. I'm fine with it. What I want you to hear today is this church family is gonna stand with and fight for you. I don't care what you're walking through. I don't care what you're carrying, but we wanna carry it with you. We want this to be your safe place. And so as you're standing here this morning, I wanna, I wanna ask the church, is there anybody that will come and stand with this group? Y'all really mad now, aren't you? It's okay, I love you anyway.
And church, I know that you look and you may not have a clue who any of these are. You may not have a clue who any of these young people are at all. But what I want you to know is if God has called you to be a part of this family, they're yours. They're your responsibility to stand with them and fight for them. And maybe the only thing God calls you to do in fighting is to pray. But this is our responsibility. And with all the confidence in me, I'll tell you under my watch, we are not going to stop standing with them and fighting for them. If we spend every penny we have, we're gonna do it standing with and fighting for this generation. I'm sick and tired of hearing the world that has given up on them. And I want you to know I haven't given up on you. So church, what I want us to do is I just want us to pray together. I want us to wholly rumble together. And I know this is gonna be awkward too, but that's just what we do around here. Let's just pray. Let's just pray for God to do a mighty work in the lives of this generation. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you. We're praying for you. And we'll see you next time.